630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Monday. Hope you've had a great long weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, and on Holiday Monday, we feature the best of Inside Sports, some of our favorite interviews that have aired on the show recently. Last week, we caught up with Edmonton's Manny Vivrios, very successful coach in Europe in the Western Hockey League. He was on the Oilers staff for a season, and now he's going to the American Hockey League as the head coach of the Henderson Silver Knights. Well, it's, it's something, Reed, that, uh, you know, took, you know, a little bit of time. Uh, about two months ago, I got a call from uh, Kelly McCrimmon. Um, they were looking for uh, a new coach uh, for the American Hockey League team, and he just uh, called and asked if I had, you know, possibly had some interest in joining the organization. And, uh, uh, you know, really excited about that, having a chance, and, and to even get the call uh, first and foremost. And uh, then uh, we talked a few times, and we kept talking over the last couple months, and, uh, uh, you know, so fortunate that we have this opportunity to, to work with the organization like the Knights. And uh, we're really excited and fortunate. All right. And obviously, this is the, the farm team. And I mean, I suppose there are some, some advantages, too, here, uh, player-wise and just communication-wise with, with the farm team being situated quite close to its parent team. Well, certainly, Reed. We're going to be located. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll practice out of uh, in Henderson, Nevada, uh, its own individual city, just outside of Las Vegas, and in Summerlin is where the Golden Knights practice. Uh, we're, I think, at the most twenty minutes apart. So, um, such an advantage uh, for the organization as far as uh, when they're bringing players uh, up to the, the big club. They're going to just it takes it's more of a twenty-minute drive for them. So, um, great opportunity for them to watch the kids uh, develop and. and and improve and, and basically on a daily basis uh, in person meetings with uh, with the parent clubs. So, um, so many advantages uh, to having uh, their American League team in the same city as that they're playing also too. And, and the excitement they'll read in Henderson uh, from last time I heard they have about 8,500 season tickets sold already uh, for the for next season. Whether or not we'll be able to see all those fans or not remains to be seen but still uh, an exciting uh, opportunity. It's going to be an interesting situation for for you, American Hockey League teams. You often you often have an interesting combination of veterans, maybe players just on minor league deals. So either guys who are are, are long shots to get back to the NHL or who you know can't be called up because of their contract status, and then you'll have a variety of players, probably between about. 20 and 25 that are hoping to get up there and uh, and stay up there. What kind of, I don't know if challenges is the right word, but it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic for a head coach. Well, no, certainly a great question, Reed. I think for most uh, most importantly is that you need to have that veteran leadership group in, in your dressing room, whether it's at the National Hockey League level, American Hockey League, or the WHL level, is that you need some of these let, uh, veteran leadership guys to show the younger players what it takes to be a real pro, um, not just on ice, off ice, uh, time management, uh, what you're doing uh, you know, on your days off, those type of things. And if you have good character players, 
players that loved the game and still want to have the opportunity to get to the National Hockey League. And, and you see stories of that every year of guys who've been career minor leaguers get that opportunity and make the most of it and spend a couple more years uh, in the National Hockey League later on in their careers. And uh, those are the type of guys that you want to have in your team, in your locker room at all times. And I've always said the most important meeting that a coach ever has is the one just after the meeting you have with the players. And you want those guys, uh, you know, translating that message or, or, or help uh, communicate with the younger players. And uh, it's so valuable. So challenges, I, I don't think it's a challenge uh, at all. I think it's just something how you include everybody in, in a proper uh, team and family atmosphere. Matty Viveros joining us tonight at Inside Sports has been hired as the head coach of the Henderson Silver Knights. That'll be the AHL team for the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, you've got an extensive coaching and playing career. I want to just talk a little bit about the WHL. In Swift, you uh, had a team with a winning percentage of 6-11. The next year, you had a winning percentage of 7-15 and won the title. And this past year in Spokane, you had a 6-80 winning percentage. Why do you think you, you were so successful in the Western League? You know, first and foremost, uh, Reed, uh, I had great staffs in Swift Current. I had great staffs in Spokane also, too, and also uh, had a really good, uh, uh, a really good uh, kids. And, and alluding to back what we talked about earlier, about I had a leadership group both in Swift Current and also in Spokane that these kids uh, all want to get to that next level, and they were prepared and willing to um, put the time and, and work in to get to the next level. And it was uh, my two years in Swift Current and my one year in Spokane were, uh, from a coaching point of view, were, were very, very easy. These kids were so hungry, and uh, you know they were like sponges, so to speak. As far as uh, um, they saw the staff in both organizations, that we wanted to put the work in to help them to get to the next level, and and show them that it, it, as a group or as a team, um, you can you can achieve uh, many things together if everybody's on the same page. And uh, um, wonderful experiences. Obviously, it's so currently won a championship, and also last year. Um, no one will ever know what ha- will happen, but I thought we were as good as anybody in the league at the end of the season. Well, I, I should touch on that. I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk through the whole pause and the and the pandemic. And, you know, our, our Oil Kings here in Edmonton were having a great season, and, and we were hopeful there was going to be a deep playoff run. And I, I mentioned in Spokane, you guys were 41-18-5. So... Uh, that's got to be heartbreaking for a coach because some of those kids are going to graduate and and at that age, uh, you know, they're learning so much and they're forming so many bonds. It's got to be tough that that's an unfinished story for the Chiefs. Well, you know, it's you know, it's as hard as that we all take it, but more importantly, how difficult it was for our kids. You know, they put the time and effort in for. You know, these kids nowadays train uh, 11 months of the year, um, off ice, on ice. Uh, they go to school, they come to the rink. We have we have long road trips. They put the time and effort in. They're dedicated. And when we announced that we were uh, making that break at that time, we thought it was just going to be a two week break. Uh, but you know, deep down, we kind of knew that the season was going to be over and you could see the disappointment uh, in, in these young men's uh, you know, faces as far as uh, how much time and effort they put in and, and more importantly I think the 20 year olds uh, invested so much over their career that they never had a chance to, to finish off uh, their, their career in the proper way whether you win or lose but go out in, in the proper way and, and that's not just our team, that's throughout the whole Western League and, and, and all of the CHL also too and um, it, it was sad to see but you know these kids are amazing, you know 
they're resilient. They're, they bounce back again, and they're excited, even though uh, at this time they don't know exactly when they're going to play, even though everybody has a tentative date. Um, the pandem- pandemic will control everything that goes on in the world. And But these kids are still positive. They're putting the work in, in the summer times, and they're getting ready for a, a time that, that possibly can play again. Uh, Manny, you know, looking back, we should touch on your on your year with uh, with the Oilers. I know you were you were really excited for that, and obviously being uh, being an Edmonton guy, St. Albert, Edmonton, and, and playing your minor hockey here to to be a member of the Oilers organization turned out to be kind of a strange year, I guess, because the the staff uh, you joined had had Todd McClellan as the head head coach, and then about a third of the way through the season, uh, Hitch was was the head coach. So uh, the game can throw you a curveball, and I guess uh, you had to deal with one that year. You know, you know what, Reed? It, 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 it's part of the business nature of the business. Uh, we, some we say we all sign up for this, and we certainly understand that this could happen at times, and certainly doesn't make it any easier when it does happen. But um, you know, looking back on that year, there's nothing but positives that we don't uh, we take from that. My wife and I, uh, we had an opportunity to meet some new people in the organization. Uh, you know, the training staff, uh, incredible guys, all of them. Um, I still keep in contact with a lot of them as far as. Uh, to protect every once in a while. Um, the players themselves, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to work with Connor and Leon for a year and just watch how these guys uh, work every day in such a market where it's not an easy place always to be a professional athlete and how they handle themselves day in and day out on a daily basis was remarkable. So, um, you know, I've made some friendships uh, over that year and it's something I've taken with me and I'm going to use with me when I go into the American Hockey next year. And, uh, you know, you have two of the greatest players in the world that uh, you could always relate to how they do things on and off the ice. Manny, is there a is there a trend in the game over the last I, I don't know if you want to see, if we want to say three to five years or something like that that you've really seen I mean one thing I talk about on this show and as you know Manny because we get to talk off air sometimes you know not all my observations are anywhere near correct <laughs> but, but uh, you know there's so many there's so many puck moving defensemen now right like Haskinen and McCarr and maybe the, the shutdown guy isn't valued as much as it used to be that's one trend I, I talk about how do you how how have you seen it? Because you've had a unique spot seeing the junior players and the NHL players over the last five years. No, Reed, that's a great observation, and I totally agree with you. Like there is, there is room in the game still for all types of players in the game. Um, you have the Quinn Hughes's, uh, the Shea Theodores, the Macars, uh, these type, Ethan Bears. These guys, you know, when they have the puck on their stick, it's exciting to watch what they're going to do with it, and then they make good heads-up plays. But there's still, there, there, there's, you still can't win without the type of players on the back end, as far as defensemen that are heavy, um, you know, and could be mean and they can lean on the opposition. I think it's so important to have the right po- uh, proper chemistry uh, with, with throughout a team. And, uh, you know, the game, uh, just watching the playoffs this year, some of these guys that you don't get this chance to see all the time um, are, are phenomenal. You know, for it, like the Shea Theodores, again, Quinn Hughes, those type of players, Macars, they're, they're really a treat to watch every single night. But there's still an appreciation for some of these guys who are, are big and heavy and they play the game the right way and fair and, and it, to make it difficult to play against. Manny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close off with uh, with one more here. And as I mentioned, you had an extensive uh, playing career, Western Hockey League, NHL, AHL, IHL, uh, you know, a lot of, a few stops in, uh, in Europe. Most of your time over there was in Austria. And then you got into coaching. 
now that you've been a coach for for several years is there anything that a coach did as a player that kind of bothers you or you didn't get and now that you're a head coach you're like oh wait a minute now i know what he was trying to accomplish <laughs> another great question i think i think as a player um a lot of times uh, i thought i knew everything <laughs> and when i turned to become a coach i knew nothing and uh, i think that's one of the things uh, you know there's a, a, and a lot of smart hockey players and everything else so but um if i had to go back in my career um and and, and we're talking a long time ago reed obviously you know that um the game has changed so much as far as how you study the game the kids nowadays study the game and they're students of the game but back then we weren't so much we didn't have the, the capabilities of watching video or, or your shifts at a moment's notice and uh, if anything I could would have done back then if we had the resources I would have done that more uh, but having said that uh, you know you like to think when you get older you get a little bit smarter here and uh, I'm going to stick to that <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well I guess just to wrap up some housekeeping uh, what is it December 4th they want to start the season so what is your uh, I, I guess you got to wait and see when camp's going to be when the NHL decides some things or what's what's going on now? I think Reed, uh, we're going to follow. I think all leagues across North America are going to kind of follow the template the NHL sets forth. And, and obviously everybody hopes to get back and playing in December. But again, obviously it's a situation that we don't control. But uh, we, I hope to be playing hockey uh, in December, uh, hopefully in front of fans. But again, um, we'll wait and see what happens. Okay. Well, congratulations on the new opportunity. It's it's always fun to have you on the show, Manny. Really appreciate your insight and all the best with the the Silver Knights. Pretty cool name too. And keep in touch, man. Great. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. That is Manny Vivrios. No doubt he'll do a great job with the Henderson Silver Knights. Best of Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad. Very sad news on Friday. Former coach and teacher in the city. And former city councillor Brian Anderson passed away at the age of 78 after a battle with cancer. Tim Anger, now the executive director of Football Alberta, played football for Anderson at Ainley in the early 80s. Well, I can still hear that gravelly voice, man. If you didn't jump to and he, he started talking, you uh, there's something wrong with you. I mean, he was he was he was forceful. He was purposeful. He had a great sense of humor. Um, he didn't broker any nonsense. But at the, at the same time, it, there just was an aura about the man that just uh, brought on. Uh, you really wanted to perform for him. You really did. You 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 know you 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 may have been kidding yourself in kind of the effort level you put into things before, but. Uh, you know, once you heard that voice, uh, you started to perform. And uh, we we spoke briefly earlier today. Still up till still a great memory for you. Uh, almost forty years later, a city championship with Brian as your coach. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a great day. I mean, I remember uh, you know the. Uh, uh, the the bus trip to Old Clark Stadium, playing in the mud there against O'Leary. We won twelve to nine. I mean, it was it was it was just a special time. And, you know, the most poignant memory I have about him, believe it or not, since I've heard of his passing, was was his depth chart. I mean, uh, the, in the old office he had at Harry Ainley, he had a makeshift depth chart of uh, the football team on the back of his uh, office door, and all it really was was just a bunch of athletic tape with players' names on it. And and you wanted to have your name on that that tape. You wanted to have your name on that tape at the top of the list at your particular position and it just drove us crazy <laughs> every time you opened that door we wanted to see where our uh, position was during training camps and stuff to see our names kind of go up and down with the basis of them ripping tape off the off the door but but it was those kind of things you know the little things that made things special you know
know, the basketball teams that he coached over the years, you know, always you always got your name up on the uh, on the wall, um, and that wasn't present in a lot of schools. I mean, a lot of schools do it now, but I think he was one of the first people that uh, that had your your name was in lights. And I tried, you know, year after year to make that basketball team. Finally, did it in grade twelve, and uh, and it was uh, you know, it was one of the honors he bestows upon his athletes. Again, not to make you any better, but just to make it an incredible experience and something that you can you can cherish. And so that's you know, kind of lasting memory that. I know I share with a lot of people out there. I mean, ever since the news has come down, my phone's been uh, been ringing off the hook and texting with former buddies and former former coaches that uh, that uh, had an experience to to be part of it. I mean, the most courageous coaching thing I ever saw in my life is when Rick Gilson from Grand Prairie High School had to deal with the death of four of his players during the middle of the season and kind of guide his team and his community, uh, you know, as best he could and, and did a completely outstanding job. Well, guess who he was coached by, you know, he was another uh, Brian Anderson product, and uh, and a lot of what uh, I've talked to Rick about today is just again the memories of what that man can instill in you to the character you can bring forward in leadership. Tim Anger joining us, executive director of Football Alberta, as we remember Brian Anderson. Is there anything, and especially now in in your role, I mean, obviously you've gone on to a, a pretty prominent position here with Football Alberta. Anything that Brian did that sort of changed? Uh, I don't know if coaching standards is the is the right word, but you mentioned you know what a great coach he was and and, and how he knew what he wanted. Is is there anything that he has done that is now kind of taught as something that the, the, an approach that younger coaches should have? Well, I think you know anybody who's ever was coached by him uh, kind of recognizes the kind of attention to detail that he always had. And uh, you know, I'm not saying other coaches at the time didn't have that, but 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 the detail of on the field and the off the field stuff. I mean, we had everything going for us there. We had you know team meals prior to games. I didn't, I haven't heard of anybody else doing that. We had uh, uh, rookie shows that uh, that kind of <laughs> allowed you to be initiated into the team in a uh, in a rather safe, non hazing environment, but. But again, something important to build the camaraderie in the teams. I tell you, one of the things that he doesn't get any credit for is he was one of the fathers of the, the modern day high school provincials. Uh, there were four gentlemen, uh, Larry Wilson from Stepler, Gary DeMann from Calgary, Cliff Walters uh, from Lethbridge, all you know, similar legends in their own areas. And Brian Anderson, who, who in 1985 brought forth, uh, you know, what is now bloomed into one of the, you know, biggest fall events we have every year. And uh, you know, is, is before we didn't have that because I can remember talking to Coach Anderson after our 1982 city championship because as, as great as that was. We went back to the school, and that was it. We didn't get to go to provincials. Meanwhile, there's the volleyball team packing up their stuff, waving at us on their way out the door. Yeah, we're off to provincials. And, and he knew it was unfair at the time, too. And so he spent a lot of his time in the early 80s working with other people around the province to get it going. So, you know, for anybody out there who's uh, participated in provincials, you owe Brian Anderson a debt of gratitude because it was guys like him that, that pushed it forward. He will be missed. Great man, Brian Anderson. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It's always fun to catch up with the greatest curler of all time, Kevin Martin. By the way, his uh, shops in the Savile Center are uh, up and running again. Kevin's curling, Kevin's rocks and rackets if you want to visit him there. But uh, we had Kevin on the show last week, and uh, I didn't really know where the conversation was going to go. We were hitting on a few different topics, and then uh, Kevin elaborated on a recent innovation in the sport of curling. 
Brad Gushu's discovery about uh, directional sleeping just a few years ago now uh, completely uh, changed the game of sleeping. So yes, it's uh, that's probably the biggest change in in, uh, in between the two sports of, of tennis and curling. Go into that with Gushu because I, I I could not explain it nearly as well as 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 you're going to, and I believe you've. I think when I asked you a few years ago the greatest curler you ever played against, I think you said Gushu, and he's still going pretty strong. So tell me about the directional curling discovery or uh, directional sweeping discovery. Well, yeah, you know, and it's kind of neat that, uh, and I guess we, we even used to do it back in the day, but we didn't. Well, I, we didn't really uh, look into it as something we could take uh, shot to shot and go from either side and that's being able to sort of uh, move the stone either way depending on on how you brush it at what angle you brush and actually unbeknownst to anybody uh, Brad Gushu ended up having the ice uh, in uh, during the summer of I forget Reed if it was three years ago or four years ago and uh, and he did all this testing uh, in secret and uh, figured out the directional sweeping and, and they came out in the fall of their team and it wasn't close. They won the first, uh, Brad would be able to clear me up, but it was four events or six events in a row because they had such an advantage. They knew exactly what they were doing and and uh, I remember watching a, a Grand Slam. It was a semifinal coulee against uh, uh, Team Gushu and, and uh, Brad only gave about a foot of ice for an outturn board weight hit and it's not enough ice in, in the Grand Slams because the ice moves so much. Anyway, so I'm watching. I'm right behind the sheet. I'm up in the broadcast booth, and I'm dead behind the center line, so I have a perfect view. And Brad, and Brad throws the rock nice and straight, and, and he yells hard for the inside guy to hit it. And it backs up abruptly, like it, it visually. The rock moved back, and it didn't get hit. Then hit it with the broom. Move back, and then the rock's curling towards the guard. It's going to be on the guard. Hit it again. They backed it up, and now there's air. I'm going, what the heck? I've never seen anything like this. And then near the rock, sure, he moved it around again, made the perfect shot, rolled, horse coolie to a single in the seventh, and then won it coming home. And right then, I actually uh, contacted Jerry Peckham from inside the booth during the game. And I contacted uh, Jerry Peckham, who's in charge of high performance at Curling Canada. And I said, are you watching the game right now? And he said, yep. I said, we're in trouble, aren't we? Yep, we got some stuff to do. So anyway, that's what happened, and uh, that kind of changed it. That was the first Grand Slam event and uh, of the year, and it was just clearly apparent that, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like they had a remote control on the uh, curling stone, and, and that ended up changing the way uh, the fabrics and the way people sleep, and it was just amazing to uh, uh, to change the game so quickly in the summer, from the summertime to uh, first Grand Slam of the year, and the whole game got turned upside down, which is which is great for the evolution of sport. You know, when you get somebody really smart that can uh, can make a change like that. All right, so you so you noticed it, and, and you talked to somebody else who who noticed it. Now, did Brad ever start talking about it, or did he kind of say, "Look, I spent the summer doing this on my own. You guys figure it out," or what happened you know, along those lines? Oh yeah, well no, it's a lot of work. So you know, Brad deserved it. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, you, you you do all that work and you discover something new. And that's fantastic. I think that's great. And then it's just a matter of, oh boy, because um, other teams are obviously are, are good athletes and they'll catch on. And pretty soon it, it became a, a sweeping game rather than a throwing game. And that's why things had to change because you know you want the sport, all sports, to be the the athlete doing the motion of the game. 
to have to be talented to make those shots or throw that ball or hit that ball or whatever it is in the particular game you're talking about. And it got to a stage in curling for a few months where you can pretty much throw the rock wherever you want, swimmers will end up putting it where it needs to be. So that's no good. So then, you know, uh, luckily, and, and, and obviously it, it turned out very, very well. Curling's even grown a ton in the last four years. So um, everything turned out really well, but uh, that's quite the uh, evolutionary story in, in our sport in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's I'm glad you told that because I, I didn't know it in, in, in that detail. So that's awesome. Kevin Martin joining us tonight on, uh, on Inside Sports. Of course, uh, his shops are uh, back up and running at the Savile Centre, so you can go check him out there. Um Okay, so sweeping, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I know you probably hate picking guys. Uh, one or two, though, of the best sweepers you ever felt that you played with over the years. And I know you've yeah. been... <laughs> that's... that's right, and I played with or against. Uh, well, right. Obviously, Ben Hebert has to be one of them because he's, he's built like a brick. <laughs> um, and he's just so strong, you know, and that, that, you know, there's, there's smarts, which Ben's got, but then there's also the just brute strength. And, uh, yeah, Ben came out of a football background. He was actually a quarterback for the uh, Regina Rams. Actually. Right, and uh, and just you know, very talented athlete, but uh, uh, extremely strong. But there's over the years has been lots of really strong uh, sweepers, but Ben's got to be at the tail, near the top or the top of that of that group. And I don't think many of the sweepers today would argue with that, just because of how strong he is. Now, of course, after all the years he swept, he's starting to complain about his shoulders and hips and all that starting to break down because it's a ton of work to uh, to be able to uh, to sweep that many thousands the rocks well that's a very unique motion in the world of sports and obviously every sport has uh its grind on your body and its physicality but in hockey you know you're skating one minute you're stick handling then you're shooting then you might be back checking skating you know skating backwards hitting somebody you know 40 second shift you do a lot of stuff football is very violent but it's it's four seconds and and the play is over but like curling is that I mean, you could be going all out on a stone for 25 or 30 seconds, right? Depending on, on what you're trying to do with it. That's a very unique and, and grueling motion to do over and over again for two and a half or three hours. And that's kind of the key is it's over and over again. So it's really hard in the hips because the moving down the ice um, is difficult. And then the one shoulder and the one lat, you build up such a huge lat and uh, and all your strength, you get very lopsided. So in the summertime, uh, the biggest job of the sweepers is actually to balance their body so that uh, they somehow can get and you just can't build it enough but you try to balance your body to to take the stress off of the one side uh in time for curling season before you do it again <laughs> and that's kind of the trick to it is the season's done you try to relax a little bit and then into the gym for uh, to body balance and then try to build the muscle and do it again and and it is a very difficult sport uh for the sweepers on the shoulders and uh, and hips and quads how much uh, as a skip would you practice sweeping just in case and obviously sometimes you would sweep in the house right yeah not much the, uh, <laughs> but I did uh, one thing I did too over all my years uh, the entire time I, I played is when I practiced and if it was Jules my coach of 30 years and myself uh, I swept every stone I threw for my entire career now if I was practicing with Mark or Ben or, or uh, Carter Rycroft back in the day or Don Bartlett they would sweep my rocks because they're sweepers but if I'm practicing by myself or with just the coach. Uh, 
I would always put my own rocks down there. And the reason being is that um, obviously if you throw a stone and, and it's not swept all the way down, there's debris, there's frost, there's many things that can happen to it. And then you wouldn't know, what well, did you die? Was I a little light? Was I a little oh. heavy? Like, well, what caused that? Uh, but if you sweep every rock, then you know the result was, was, was honest, an honest result. So now you can deal with what you did. So, so I swept every rock. So actually, I probably swept as many rocks as anybody in the world. I just, don't, I just don't sweep as well. <laughs> Fair <laughs> as a, enough. As, as, as the good guy. <laughs> uh, well, there's a, a pretty good sweeper uh, in your family, of course. I, I've had the opportunity to have uh, Carrick on the show a few times, and, and he plays with Brendan Botcher, who uh, who is a frequent guest during curling season on uh, on Inside Sports. Uh, look, that team in, in, incredible. Um, they just got to get over the hump at the prior. I mean, three straight runner-ups. You can't, they've done everything except win the darn thing already. Well, that's right. They've done quite a lot. Yeah, they won the three slams in a row, which is amazing. And now they've been to three prior finals in a row, so it's just a matter of time, I think, for them. And, and you're right. Uh, between Carrick and uh, and Brad Thiessen, the, uh, the second, uh, those two guys, they're they're very strong sweepers as well. Um, when, it, when you're talking about you know the best sweepers, uh, they're too young to be saying best of anything yet because you, you need to earn those stripes. And, uh, and those, but those two guys are as strong as any sweeping pair uh, in the game right now. And and you know with the growth of, of Botcher himself um, as a skip because I you know I, I coached them only a few years ago at the Briar in Newfoundland and and you know you can see a, a difference in the knowledge at the skip position between say Botcher versus Cooey or, or, or Gushu at the time and and, uh, and so on but boy oh boy what a change in the last couple of years uh, you know Brennan's really come you know come into himself and, and really played well and I think it's had a lot to do with Darren Molding the third. Uh, being the jovial, outgoing person that he is with uh, Brendan, Brad, and Carrick, all being quite quiet, I think that's enabled uh, Brendan Botcher to be kind of just uh, run the team the way he wishes and not worry about things so much. I think Darren's been a big part of that. Yeah, and you know what? The guys have told me that too, that he's added that that element. Uh, before I let you go, we got to do this again, Kevin, because it's always great just catching up with you and talking sports and talking curling. You like you uh, like you you still come on with us uh, after your retirement. You love talking the game. You still you still broadcast. You still have such passion for it. So a lot of sports, curling included, have been thrown into a different schedule and different timing because of the the pandemic. Are you? Um, you know, just concerned about how it's going to come back at the highest levels, the audience interest, or do you think people are going to miss it and just get right back into into watching? And obviously for the athletes too, it's a throw off in their routine. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, we, we as a curling community, actually were really concerned about how the game will go forward during this time. And actually, if you remember the name Warren Hansen, he ran Curling Can- uh, Canada's events, the Briar and the Scotties, for many years. Him and I and Jungle Jim Jerome have actually teamed up and started Inside Curling podcast uh, 21 episodes ago covering all of this stuff. This is exactly what we talk about, and I'm glad you brought it up. And that's trying to talk about the game, where it's going, we bring interviews of Brad Gushu and Perry Anderson, whatever the case may be, and hear things from their side of things from around the world. Um, so, yeah, we were very concerned about how it goes, and that's why we started the podcast, to try to get all that information out. And actually, uh, tour events have started in Switzerland. Uh, there's been two event, 
events uh, back-to-back to Schweizer Cup and the Bodden Masters. So the World Curling Tour is starting again, thank goodness. And uh, so, yes, curling will be somewhat back to normal. Unfortunately, to your point, the broadcasting schedule really won't start till after Christmas. So it's going to be a little different until Christmas in that regard. But the game itself, I think, is, uh, is looking pretty good. Uh, what are your hours? When can people come say hi at Savile? Yeah, well, for now, until the end of September, 10 to 5, we're open every day, seven days a week, and we have been for all these years, and it was sure weird to be closed that long. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing people come down and BS with them. You know, uh, I, I, I just really enjoy it when people come in and we start talking about curling. A lot different than you and I have done for the last few minutes here. It's kind yeah, of like that at my store at the Salvo, and uh, uh, I know I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody again. Always love talking to him. That is Kevin Martin, and this is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Well, it would have been great to see Greg Ellingson catching passes against the Calgary Stampeders today in the Labor Day Classic, but no CFL season. So what is the double E receiver doing? Well, he's gone back to his old high school in Tampa, Florida, to coach the receivers. Yeah, so, you know, with the season being cancelled, kind of fortunate to still stay in contact with my high school and go back and, you know, coach the guys up that, you know, I, uh, I had the chance to do that every, you know, couple of years when I'd come back and get ready for the season, you know, I'd go back and, you know, just a couple of days here and there throughout the, the months preparing for the season, I'd go back and check in and help the kids out. Uh, like one guy's Frankie Williams for Hamilton that, uh, you know, I went back there and I coached him up a little bit. Then he went off to Purdue and had four years there. And then he ended up being in the CFL and playing against him. So it's kind of full circle and it's cool to, you know, see a kid that I helped train a little bit uh, at high school, go off and do good things and now I'm playing against him. So that's, you know, very cool. And then now I have a lot more time to actually take the title of being the receivers coach uh, down at Robinson High School, uh, you know, where I grew up, born and raised and, and, and give back a little bit to the kids. Well, tell me about your high school career. Were you the were you the star on the team, or were you an underdog and you had to work your way up? What, what do you remember about your high school football career, Greg? Yeah, actually, I played uh, youth football here in Tampa. Um, TBYFL for the Seahawks was the team name, and uh, actually, like my first year, my freshman year, I still played for the the TBYFL team, um, the youth football team, and then I went. Uh, that that that's a year I played JV, and then um, my junior and sophomore year, I actually played tight end, defensive end. I uh, didn't even play receiver, but uh, they just you know I had a, I was a good athlete and a big frame, so they put me at tight end and let me block a little bit and still catch some here and there. Um, and then my senior year, I finally made the move to wide receiver, and you know finally got to be uh, kind of you know the, the main pivot of the offense, and uh, ended up going for like a thousand yards my senior year and. Uh, a lot of catches and helped the team win a bunch of games and finally got noticed by uh, some colleges and I was actually going to go to a D2 uh, school um, and go to a little camp that they have where you can bring your highlight film and you can show all the schools you know your potential and actually got an offer from FIU uh, right the day before I was going to go to the like D2 convention which was uh, you know nice uh, to finally get that offer and uh, go to a D1 school and get a scholarship. High school football in Florida Look, I'm a long way away from Florida, but it has that reputation where thousands of fans and and media coverage and all that kind of stuff. Like, is that is that true? Are the high school football athletes as big as you know? I don't know the the junior hockey players are in in Canada. I don't I don't know if that's a direct comparison, but what's it? Uh, what's the hoopla 
like uh, surrounding high school ball in your part of the world? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I grew up uh, maybe four or five blocks from my high school and uh, you can hear like Friday night, you can hear, you can see the lights off in the distance in the sky and you can hear the roars of the crowd, you know, when they score a touchdown or when there's a big play, you know, that's something I grew up and like seeing and hearing and then being able to experience it. And then now, even when I drive back down that way, um, when I wasn't coaching for them yet, uh, you can still see the same thing. You see that glow in the sky from a distance and then you just hear the roars of the crowd. And, you know, I wouldn't say they're, um, I know like Texas has a reputation for being huge games and, uh, things like that. Like we still have a huge following, and I think the thing about Florida football and um, being down south this far is like we're known for speed. So it doesn't. Maybe we don't have the biggest cornbread, you know, southern guys that are gonna hold up on the offensive defensive line. But man, our skill positions. These kids are running around, and when you're competing like that all the time, and the guys are always moving and they have high motors, you just kind of train yourself from a young age to be, you know, fast and always on the move. So. I guess growing up in that definitely helped out. And, uh, you know, now it's, I guess, a point in time where, you know, I can give back and invest my time and uh, to the kids that, you know, have something else to look forward to and maybe want to follow in the footsteps that I've created. So what do you focus on as a coach? You've gone on to play pro ball. Now you're you're dealing with youngsters who, you know, I'm sure are still learning the game and obviously uh, trying to improve. And, of course, you can improve a lot from, you know, 14 or 15 to, to 17 or 18. So, you know, with you having played pro football, what are some of the key things you want to focus on now with younger athletes? I think with kids this age, it's um... – there's a lot of things that um, you kind of have to hone down on and you have to go to the bare basics and the fundamentals of, you know, what it takes to be um, a football player, not not just a receiver, because a lot of these kids are playing different positions, uh, just as I did I, in high school. I played my senior year. I played receiver, safety, kicker and punter. So my only timeout was halftime coming off the field and then at the end of the game, it was over. So a lot of these kids are going you know, on both sides of the ball. They're competing. Um, you just got to break things down and. I think the one side of it I didn't really think about too much when I was jumping into this um, you know, opportunity to go back and volunteer and uh, help with my local high school was I didn't think about all the things that you know have to do because it's a public school program through Hillsborough County where I have to make sure I get you know certified in concussion protocols and I have to get certified in um, AED and you know uh, heat stroke and things uh, even just like mental health and wellness and knowing how to interact with the kids and it's things that I think uh, playing football my whole life I've always been surrounded by and kind of known like how to deal with things and talk to people and just because you're with those guys all the time you just you know when you do it for 20 plus years and you're just immersed in that culture you don't realize the impact you're having um, on kids and then when you have to sit down and think about you know how the coaches before me had coached me and the way they did things um, it really shines a different light on you know being a coach and how you have to not only be there and teach these kids um, the fundamentals of football but just um, you know character traits and and things they can carry you know, with them and lessons, you know, that they can use their whole life, just, you know, uh, doing things the right way and, and the effort that you put into something will yield the results that you want. And, you know, you can't just kind of walk through things. You have to be specific about the things that you're getting taught and make sure you retain those things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than just being a football coach at the high school level, I feel. And it's something that, you know, I kind of grasped and um, kind of just running with it because it's fun and it's nice to be able to be a positive role model for these kids and just talk about them, you know, football being an escape and a sport that's an escape from you know maybe problems they have at home or maybe 
um, you know, if they're getting bullied or, you know, whatever the release that they need or the lessons that they need to be learned, uh, they can learn through, um, you know, being a good teammate and, uh, you know, putting your effort in everything you do. And uh, there's just, you know, small lessons that you're able to impact the kids with. Well, good for Greg Ellingson. He's got a great outlook, and, man, it's going to be cool for the kids at his old high school to have a pro receiver coaching them this year. Hey, thanks a lot for listening tonight. This has been the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator. Live show tomorrow, and then we'll have live conference final hockey later on in the week. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.